Well, good morning. It is a joy and a privilege for us to be able to be gathered together and to be able to explore the mysteries and the wonder of God's Word together. I want to begin today's message in kind of an unusual place. I'm going to show you an image of a book up on the screen that's called Maxed Out. Katrina Alcorn wrote this book with her experiences of noticing how incredibly stressful family life is today. And I want to begin by sharing with you her kind of understanding of the way that life really is. She says, my husband Brian and I were moving as fast as we could, and yet certain tasks were still not getting done. Jake, our son, was behind on his immunizations. I needed new glasses. All of us were overdue for a trip to the dentist. Martha had a school play coming up the same day as Ruby's parent-teacher conference. When were we supposed to make time for all of this stuff? Someone had to collect the paperwork to refinance the mortgage when the interest rates dropped. Someone had to pick up the dry cleaning to get the oil changed, to buy stamps, to organize family photos, to get her taxes ready, to plan birthday parties, to RSVP for other kids' birthday parties, to buy and to wrap the gifts for those birthday parties. We had to bake brownies for Martha's basketball team potluck, take Ruby to her swim lessons, poison the ants, buy Jake a raincoat, return overdue library books and princess movies, invest in our retirement savings and chaperone Ruby's field trip and pay all the bills. Add to all of this all the work obligations that fell outside of work hours, dinners to schmooze out-of-town clients, industry conferences and gossipy networking events. It was bad form to miss those events because they might talk about you. For Brian, there was an invoicing and accounting, negotiating contracts, learning new software programs. Luckily, we were consultants. It was our job to plan and to execute difficult, complex projects. What we need, Brian said, is a good project plan. And we were confident that this would fix our problems. So each Sunday night after the kids went to bed, Brian and I hunkered down at the kitchen table to create our plan for the week. We listed everything we needed to get done, decided which ones were the top priority, and then we made an elaborate spreadsheet that divided each day of the upcoming week into his and her 30-minute increments. It specified in fastidious detail every child drop-off, every child pickup, every grocery store trip, every weekly chore. It included work meetings that were expected to start early or run late, business trips, professional networking events. It included important school events like Martha's Science Fair, Ruby's preschool art show. In an effort to stay healthy, we scheduled time to work out and time to see friends. And this wonder schedule even included time to create the next week's schedule. Two people in one half-hour time slot. It was color-coded by category, works, kids, personal. It took up half of the refrigerator, and looking at it filled me with an odd mixture of hope, I can do it, and dread, not a moment to spare. On paper, there was time for everything, as long as nothing went wrong. But of course, things did go wrong. The car got a flat, a friend called for a favor, the water heater broke and flooded the floor. And when any of these things happens, it was like the proverbial butterfly effect that caused a hurricane. One wrong move could set off a chain of events, causing the whole schedule to collapse. The worst was when one of us got sick, because chances were all of us were going to get sick, which meant being stuck in the house for a week or more, missing work, missing school, missing sleep, getting bored off our nut watching old Scooby-Doo cartoons. 
Is anybody relate to what this person is saying? Is anybody's blood pressure going up slightly at the beginning of this sermon? Anybody experiencing heart palpitations or the beginning of a mild panic attack? Is this what living the dream is all about? Is this the abundant life that Jesus promised? I want to talk to you today about your most valuable and scarcest resource. I want to talk to you about your time. We live in a time-conscious, time-starved community. And today is not some sort of management seminar. It's not about productivity. It's not about efficiency. My goal for today is far more ambitious than that. I want to give you your life back. In the midst of this series of messages, we've been talking about unexpected togetherness, how the gospel surprisingly brings us together. And we've been talking about how communities and unexpected togetherness have these kinds of qualities. And we've been extending you an invitation for all of you to not just come and to be kind of publicly aligned with Peachtree, but to really belong, to have a community to call your own. And we've been talking about in this series of messages how we have to overcome certain obstacles to be in true community. So we've talked about overcoming rejection and overcoming wounds and overcoming distrust, overcoming isolation. And I firmly believe that one of the greatest threats to community is the busy, frantic, frenetic pace that we live our lives. Jesus was really busy, but he was always available. How did he do it? Luke chapter 8. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then there was a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, who came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Is there anything more desperate than a parent trying to save a child? And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In the original Greek, it says, you idiot, keep walking. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go. In peace. I distinctly remember sitting in the classroom when Dallas Willard was teaching in a doctoral seminar, great philosophy professor. And he said, How many of you in this classroom 
feel like you have too much to do. Every single one of our hands went up. And I'll never forget what Dallas said. He said this, God never gives you too much to do. And so if you have too much to accomplish, it's your own fault. Dallas was a professor and not in pastoral care. (laughs) God will say, I didn't make your schedule. Just because an opportunity or need arises doesn't mean that you're called to do it. Having too much to do comes from confusion. It comes from our own laziness, our inability to make decisions and to stick with them. Dallas ran the department at University of Southern California Philosophy. He was a famous author, speaker, had a great family. He was a busy man. I have rarely met a more available person in my life. One of the things that Dallas distinguishes is between being busy and being in a hurry. And he says that those two things are not the same thing, that being busy might be a function of the number of things that you have on your calendar. Being in a hurry is actually more of a condition of your soul, your attitude, your spirit, your disposition as you go about what you do. You can be busy without actually being in a hurry, and you can be in a hurry even if you're not really all of that busy. And so what would it be like to try to figure out how Jesus did it and how other followers of Jesus, like a Dallas Willard, could do it? How do we become a people that are less frantic, less hurried, and oh so much more available? Well, I think by looking at today's story, we might notice these three things. That we can discover the pace of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. We might discover that Jesus created margin in his life, that Jesus actually welcomed interruptions, and that Jesus was the kind of person who could give another his full and undivided attention. First, let's talk about the pace of Jesus. Let's talk about how Jesus created margin in his life. I don't think you can actually notice this by just reading this one story. I think we have to actually zoom out for a moment and pay attention to the life of Jesus and notice some of the habits and the practices that he did from what we see in the Gospels. You'll notice these kinds of things. Did you notice that Jesus took naps? that he took vacations, he took time off, time away, that Jesus delegated responsibilities, things that he wasn't necessarily called to do, that Jesus prayed alone, and Jesus practiced the discipline of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus wasn't just the kind of person who preached about eternity or believed in eternity. Jesus was the kind of person who actually lived in eternity. And in doing so, he lived the kind of life where he created margin. I started today with this book called Maxed Out, and there's this great little statistic in this book that... um, 
Katrina discovered and wanted to kind of, uh, I mean, this was kind of the source of her YouTube and how this kind of took off in terms of her TED Talk. She discovered this. She discovered that 68% of the people that she surveyed reported that they had had what they call a hospital fantasy. You might be wondering, what on earth is a hospital fantasy? You might be passing a hospital down the road. You might see an ambulance. You might go and visit a friend in the hospital. And your hospital fantasy is when you see that moment, you're like, I want a hospital stay. (laughs) That your life is so crammed full that you actually envy the people who were in a hospital that you could stop long enough, lie in bed, watch some TV, and have other people take care of you. Two-thirds of you, statistically, are having a hospital fantasy right now. (laughs) That's where you'd rather be. And what that means is that you and I have a profound lack of margin in our lives. And according to Dallas Willard, it's your own fault. God never gives you too much to do. Back in 2005, there was a group of people in the Netherlands that had a commitment that they wanted to break the world record for the number of dominoes that fall in one chain. And in order to do this, they were going to have to set up over 4 million dominoes. So imagine the task. Imagine the size of the room that you'd have to have in order to do this. Well, so they're working incredibly diligently together in order to do this, but somebody had accidentally left open one of the upper windows and a sparrow flew in. And as you can imagine, as they tried to chase the sparrow and as the sparrow tried to get away, that the sparrow started to knock over some dominoes. Now, fortunately, someone had had the foresight to build in 750 different breaks at different intervals in between the dominoes so that if the dominoes fell, it would only knock over that particular section. So when the sparrow came in, only 25,000 dominoes fell over, (laughs) which still sounds like a lot to me, but it pales in comparison to 4 million, right? They had created margin. Jesus created margin in his life. Do you do the same? So one of the ways that Jesus was able to live with availability was that he had that kind of pace, that margin in his life. The second thing that we notice is that there's a certain patience of Jesus, that Jesus welcomed interruptions. And this is how we can kind of zoom in on this particular story because there's this significant leader. His name is Jairus. He is a synagogue leader. He's wealthy. He's prominent in the community. This is kind of the first time that Jesus's ministry is going to get a particular platform. If you were the PR consultant for Jesus, you would pull him aside. You'd be like, Jesus, don't screw this one up. This is kind of big for us. This is a big deal. You got to do this healing, Jesus. 
And so they are hurrying on their way because Jairus' daughter is sick and desperate, and Jesus is on his way to heal that daughter when all of a sudden this woman reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak, and even though they're in uh, on a particular timetable to get there, Jesus puts the air brakes on this whole parade, and he says, stop, 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 stop. Somebody touch me. And they're crowded around, and Peter's like, are you kidding me? You're in the midst of a crowd. Of course somebody touched you. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. And Jesus stops this whole parade for one woman. Here's my point. Jesus lived the kind of life where he could be interrupted. Can you? People expected, if there was going to be an interruption here, that what Jesus was going to do in this moment was to berate her because she should not have been there. He would have become ritualistically unclean as a rabbi. If, if this woman was going to interrupt Jesus and if Jesus was going to stop, it was that he was going to stop in order to lay into her and lambast her for what she has done. That's not what he does. The clearest indication as to your availability is how you treat the interruptions and the people in your life. There was a frantic period in history during World War II. In Germany, during the Nazi regime, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of the Christian resistance to what was going on in that empire. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the midst of the busyness and the importance of what needed to be done, wrote this. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths, canceling our plans, sending us people and claims and petitions. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They even think that they are doing God a service in this. Are you the kind of person that can be interrupted? Are you living with the pace of Jesus? Are you living with the patience of Jesus? And lastly, what about the presence of Jesus? Jesus was one of those people that when you were with them, it was like you were the only person in the room. Did you notice in today's story that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years? No doctor had been able to help her. The community had ostracized her. And she was breaking the rules even by being there, by being in the midst of the crowd, in order to be able to touch him, just the corner of his cloak. And it said in verse 47, and if you have your own Bibles, I want you to circle this one word, seeing that she could not go, and the word is unnoticed. That is this woman's life in a nutshell, a one-word summary of her life, unnoticed. And yet what she discovers with Jesus is that he says to her in stopping this whole parade. Daughter. Don't miss the irony. Jairus, who's named, who's prominent, 
has a daughter who's sick, who needs attending to. This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's unnamed. She's a daughter of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus gives that daughter, not just the important one, his full and undivided attention. There's a wonderful memoir by the name of Same Kind of Different as Me. It's written by Ron Hall and Denver Moore. It's co-authored in the sense of that each memoir is each chapter is written from kind of a flip-flop of their two perspectives. One chapter will be written from one perspective, the next chapter from another, and one seamless story. It's the story of an international art dealer and a homeless man whose lives become intertwined with one another. The international art dealer from Texas His marriage is on the rocks. Things are about to fall apart. And his wife, Deborah, in an effort to restore not only their marriage, but also some perspective in their lives, they start serving together in a homeless shelter because she's had a dream of a particular homeless man. And one day while she's at the shelter, she meets this homeless man and she just knows that he's supposed to be their friend. And so Denver, who basically grew up in a form of indentured servitude, enters into their lives. And without going into too much detail, tragically, Deborah's life takes a terrible turn when she's diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer. And her relationship with Denver becomes the bedrock for their family and for what they can do together. There's a scene at the end of the movie's portrayal of this. And in this scene, you get to see the unexpected togetherness of a woman who lived a life paying attention to those who normally go unnoticed. As we all gather here today, every single one of us has sweet memories of this incredible lady. When Debbie asked me to do this service, she had only one request, and that was that Denver say a few words. So without further ado, for those of you who may not know him, this is the man of Debbie's dream, Denver Moore.
I never met Miss Debbie. Miss Debbie met me. I didn't want to know Miss Debbie or any other wild woman for that matter. But ever since I know her, Miss Debbie wanted to be my friend. I sure she was friend to every soul in here. I still ain't figure out why she want to know a fellow like me. There sure ain't been nothing to be proud of. I was captive, dad was prison most of my life. Many folks seen me there lock up and pass me by. I don't blame them. I was not nice, dangerous, and probably just as happy to stay in prison. She was different. She sent me behind them bars and reached way down in her pocket and pulled out the key God gave her to set me free. She's the only person to love me enough not to give up. Now I stand here. It changed me. It freed me. I just spent a lot of time worrying. I was different from all the people, even all the homeless folk. And then after I met Miss Debbie and Mr. Room, I worried I was so different from them that we were never gonna have no kind of future. But what I found out was everybody's different. Same kind different as me. We all regular folks walking down the street God don't set in front of us. And Miss Debbie, she's a whole nother of kind different. Miss Debbie, she dream of a better place for the homeless. And I ain't talking about heaven now. I'm talking about right here in Yorkstown. Now I'm gonna pick up Miss Debbie's torch and I'm gonna carry it round. It will make Miss Debbie real happy if you will make her dream come true. And pick up her torch and carry it around too. Now I'm fixing to do something the devil ain't never done for you. I'm gonna cut you loose. with you. Whether we is rich or whether we is poor or some in between, we is all homeless. Every last one of us just working our way back home. Welcome home, Miss Debbie. Welcome home. 
Deborah noticed someone who typically goes unnoticed. She made herself available to someone whom we wouldn't normally give the time of day. Someone without a name, someone who's been suffering for a long time, and she becomes fully present with them. And you see the legacy of that with rose after rose after rose coming to the front of the church. I wonder if you have come today and in your own quiet way, you wonder if God takes notice of you and whether God's too busy for you. C.S. Lewis once said, God has all of eternity to listen to your prayers. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. God is available to you right now. You may not feel like you deserve it or that you've earned it. But God is right here waiting for you to interrupt Him with your desire to reach out and to touch Him. We're all lost. We're all homeless until he rescues us. And so let us pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we begin today by confessing how maxed out we feel our lives are, how time-starved we live. We feel like we have too much to do, and we're in an incredible hurry. God, will you teach us to become more available, to be less hurried in the same way that you lived? And so give us the pace of Jesus. Help us to create margin in our lives, to not just believe and profess eternity, but to practice it. Give us your patience. Help us to see interruptions in our lives as a part of what you give to us and give us the gift of your presence. Teach us to pay attention to those who go unnoticed, those who are unnamed, and to say the dumb daughter, son. And so thank you, God, that you so love the world that you gave. You gave not a plan, you gave not a schedule, you gave not a message but that you gave us yourself. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.